Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Yes, I think it's time to, con- to make a change. I'm not the only one. And that's it's somber. Thus, it is somber. I just think it's a sad day. This hasn't happened for over a hundred years. Some of the things Matt Gates said were just totally untrue. I have decided that I will not pursue a third term, not because I, I leave this office in any way, shape or form. I'm disappointed or anything like that. It has all been incredible. It is the greatest privilege and blessing that anyone could ask for. This is the worst time to be and on the verge of a shutdown. We cannot shut down. We have to do what we can to protect our border and keep our government funded. This is not about the the um, the the foreign owned business. This is this is about um, protecting Arizona's groundwater and getting the best value of the land for the trust beneficiaries. The new director on September 1st sent out a joint letter signed by the director of gaming, revenue and liquor threatening and terrorizing these veteran organizations and nonprofit organizations. If they don't cease and desist, they're going to get fined and they're going to lose their liquor license. And with me to talk about a soon-to-be-open office in Maricopa County government, yet another sign of a new entrant into the U.S. Senate race and more, are Chip Scatari of SNC Communications. Good morning, Chip. Good morning. And Democratic strategist Tony Connie. Tony, good morning to you. Good to see you. Tony, any surprise that uh, Paul Penzone is calling it quits in a few months? I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised um, just because I think he would have won re-election. He was the, one of the highest vote-getters in the entire county, for sure. Um but, you know, that's an extraordinarily difficult job. And I don't know. I don't have any information about why he's decided to do this. But, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that he's happy with the decision. I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's it's just a tough, tough gig. Yeah. Chip, how, how wide open a race do you think this is going to be at this point? It's an open seat, a pretty high profile traditionally office. Yeah, I think it will be a, a wide open. You know, I know Jerry Sheridan, who's one of our Pios. Uh, former colleagues is running on the Republican side. Um, not sure who's going to run on the Democrat side. But I think in addition to this being just an enormously challenging job, as Tony mentioned, um, this whole dark cloud, I think Abe Kwok and the Republic did a great column about this federal monitor and this federal judge. Um, and it's almost like this federal judge is running the county sheriff's department. Um, so I, if you're reading between, the, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, whatever cliche you want to use, I think this federal monitor who lives out of state, um, who's cost, I believe, uh, the county taxpayers about $20, $25 million over the last nine years, um, it's really an impossible task to please those people. Um, and I think this monitor needs a monitor um, because some of the um, regulations and rules are, are so tough to deal with. Um, and it's too bad for Paul Penzone, whether you're R, D, or independent. I think everyone thought he was doing a very good job. He had closed Tent City. But I think this this dark cloud of this federal monitor and the federal judge has really done damage to the uh, morale at the sheriff's department. And hopefully it will come to an end soon because really there's no incentive for this federal monitor to stop, which I think is a real shame for the residents and taxpayers of Maricopa County. Tony, do you think this with Penzone not running for re-election, does this become a harder seat for Democrats to keep? Well, sure, just because he's the 
incumbent, and I think that he was he was you know he's really popular. But you know, Chip, the, the Federal Monitor didn't cost twenty five million dollars. It was the policies of Joe Arpaio that were built up over years that the Federal Monitor is trying to unravel, and it's really difficult from a department you know to to do that at the sheriff's office because. You know, it's not like the sheriff can just point and, and, and make changes. He obviously can do, you know, the federal monitor thinks he could do more than he actually did. Right. But it is a cloud that's going to be hanging over the election, too. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think that looking at the state of the Republican Party today, uh, I suspect that you'll end up having a very far right wing candidate emerge from that primary. Probably someone who's going to announce it hasn't announced it now that it looks like it's going to be easier to win. And you know, that creates an opportunity, as it has with all of these races in, in the state and in Maricopa County, for a Democrat who can bridge the divide and win independence and pull over some Republicans to win. But, you know, I think this is unexpected enough that there aren't people who are whispering or, 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 or there's no chatter that I'm hearing about who exactly that Democrat might be. I don't know whether or not the sheriff, you know, Penzone has actually talked to somebody that he hopes would run. I don't know. That's possible how this works sometimes. Um, but I think we're just going to have to wait and see. But, I've, I've yeah. heard through the grapevine that he didn't he was not courting a successor or grooming a successor. Mm. Um, the other interesting tidbit, which I didn't realize until uh, I read this week, is that the Maricopa County Sheriff makes the same salary as La, La Paz County Sheriff. You know, huh. every sheriff makes, I believe it's one hundred thousand dollars. It's not a bad salary, but it's an enormously taxing job. Um, and I just think, you know, why I, I totally agree with Tony, what Arpaio's policies did and how much it cost taxpayers and, you know, some of the racist policies um, had to be looked into. But I think now, hopefully, um, there's a way to move on to, to save taxpayer money and to kind of remove this dark cloud from the sheriff's office. All right. So going from a race where somebody, an incumbent, is saying he's not going to run to a race where we are inching closer to an official entrant. Uh, we saw this week that uh, Kerry Lake's uh, U.S. Senate campaign filed its FEC paperwork. Chip, this has been sort of the worst kept secret in Arizona politics for, for months now that, that she's looking to get into this race. Just another sign of what we're expecting, this huge announcement that she's uh, teasing for next Tuesday? Yeah, I hope before next Tuesday she first uh, resigns to run because in her mind she's <laughs> governor. And then I'm waiting for a concession speech. And so if Carrie Lake is listening, I know several talented speechwriters could write a concession speech in the governor's race. But with all that aside, um, yeah, I mean, this will be a big announcement. And I think, you know, we've talked about this in the past on the show. This isn't your father's GOP. I mean, it's kind of alarming as I'm, a, I guess, a raging rhino moderate Democrat <laughs> or a rare breed. But it's it's kind of pathetic and sad that, uh, you know, Mesa Mayor John Giles, uh, Maricopa County Supervisor Bill Gates, who's done honorable work to protect democracy, um, Thomas Galvin, if these people ran, they would be, you know, considered long shots because Carrie Lake has the MAGA base. And I think, you know, we have to look at this long and hard. Is this the way we want to go in the Republican Party? Do we have to do something in the election system to to shake it up, whether it's an open primary where more independents can run and it's easier for independent candidates to get on the ballot? Um, so but I think she's the probably odds on favor in the Republican Party, unless there's somebody out there that no one's thinking of right now that could challenge her. Well, Tony, it, it seems as though based on another event this week that assuming she gets in, that maybe the, the U.S. Senate debates can just be held at Sky Harbor. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if all the listeners saw, but like there was a Twitter exchange between Carrie Lake and Ruben Gallego where, you know, Carrie Lake's campaign tweeted something at him and and he responded by saying, hey, 
uh, we're on the same plane. Why don't you just walk out of first class, come back to coach, and we can have a conversation about this. And then what ended up happening was when they landed, you know, Carrie Lake in first class apparently got mic'd up and then, you know, uh, psyched herself up to do yet another political stunt and walked out there and just, you know, tried to bait Ruben Gallego into being angry. And he didn't take the bait. He didn't take the bait. And, you know, I think that that's the playbook against Carrie Lake. We learned it in the governor's race. Like she's going to do she's she is she is a social media influencer. That's what she is. She she's, does, has no governing experience. She doesn't have a job right now. Like she just goes and pulls these stunts. And that's not what the voters of Arizona want. And I think it was pretty clear in that conversation. And I think that, you know, she's going to jump in. She's going to crowd out the Republicans. But I think she's a very, very flawed candidate. It struck me in that, um, you know, exchange between um, Carrie Lake and Congressman Gallego, which was, you know, as Tony said, she got mic'd up. <laughs> and we were talking about in first class. We didn't know they had those kind of mics in first yeah. class get mic'd up. So <laughs> New I'll, service. I'll have to do that in the future. Um, but when I grew up, you know, way back in the day, the, the Ronald Reagan optimism and whether, you know, I know probably Tony's not a huge fan, but he had policies. You may not have liked them. But, you know, supply side tax cuts, peace through strength. Nowadays, when I see Carrie Lake and others in the MAGA base talk, there's just a lot of anger. And I know a lot of it's performance and I know a lot of it's for clicks. But I don't think that's good for our state or our country when no one's talking about just policies. We can have policy differences. It's fine. But when she said, you know, she said to somebody in the crowd there at Sky Harbor, what was it, Tony? The quote was, you know, he's damaging America. Oh, yeah. He's trying to destroy America. He's trying to destroy America. I'm like, really? Like, is that how you want to? That's what your campaign is all about? So I think that optimism, just any type of policies other than talking about, you know, the border, which we all know needs a bipartisan fix. I think that's um, disturbing on a lot of levels. Well, Chip, so we've been there have been stories about how Carrie Lake has been maybe trying to play nice maybe with with elected Republicans. She was meeting with some U.S. senators in D.C. Do you do you have the sense that maybe this campaign could in some ways, even if in small ways, be a little different than her race last year for governor in the sense of maybe not telling, you know, fans of the late Senator John McCain to, you know, get the heck out, but maybe trying to really build more of a Republican base than just the, the base that's already with her? You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, just because she is so full of vitriol when during the governor's race going against John McCain Republicans, which probably cost her the election. Um, and when you say that I'm doing air quotes, play nice, I don't know what that means. But, you know, if she was to say, you know, Donald Trump actually lost the election fairly and squarely, I lost my election fairly and squarely. OK, we'll look at that. But I don't think she's going to do that. And that crux of election denialism and embracing the big lie, that's kind of how she gets clicks and raises money. Now, if that changes, OK, we could talk. But until then, I don't see a big sea change in, in how she politics and how she runs for office. And Tony, presumably, I mean, is it too cynical to say that from the Gallego campaign, they hope that she continues to be an election denier and full of vitriol and doesn't actually come forward with substantive policy ideas? Like, does it make it an easier candidate, at least in their minds, in the Gallego campaign's minds, to run against if she is the same candidate she was last year? I, You know, I... It, yes, I think that it, because it's 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 who she is. I think that's the thing here is that they did. There were ten, there was some reporting about how like people on her campaign tried to moderate her a little bit after the primary and the governor's race, and she just refused to do it. She kind of you know stopped listening to people who know politics in Arizona, and instead was listening to Steve Bannon and people like him. And that's her. Those are her chief 
you know, uh, political advisors. And, and, you know, while a, a smart campaign looks at the voters and does the math and says, I need this percentage and that percentage, I need to do this, that. What she does is she looks at how many clicks she's getting on right-wing social media, how many small-dollar donations she's getting when she does something outrageous. That's the entire playbook. I don't think she's going to be able to resist that pull in order to you know, not just make the money but just to get the attention and the praise that she seems to crave from the farthest, most extreme people in this entire country. Yeah. Now, if you're Senator Sinema or Cedar Senator who's now an independent – probably going to run for re-election. Um, you know, the polling still doesn't look great. Tony knows the poll numbers up and down better than anybody. But you could say to Arizona voters, we have Ruben Gallego on the f- left. We have Kerry Lake on the far right. I'm an independent thought leader, consensus builder of, you know, it's a key swing vote on infrastructure and all these big bills. That could be maybe her campaign sees that as a pathway to victory. I know it's a long shot, but... When you have the left and the right, if the three of them would do a debate, yeah. it would be fascinating to watch how that debate played out. That would be an interesting yeah. one to watch. And maybe we'll get to see it next year. Yeah. Who knows? Chip, let me start with you. Uh, the U.S. House is in, I don't know, can we say a little bit of disarray <laughs> at the moment? Is that, a, is that a fair assessment? I think that's fair, yeah. Uh, there is a vote this week to uh, vacate the chair led by Florida Republican Matt Gates. Two of Arizona's uh, Republican members of Congress voted along with a handful of Republicans to oust Kevin McCarthy, Eli Crane, and Andy Biggs. Are, are, is it surprising? Like, this has never happened before. Like, what, what do you make of all this? You know, I think it's uh, kind of the writing's been on the wall. Um, and by that, I mean that the GOP, my party, has courted disruptors for a long time, ever since the Tea Party. They wanted to disrupt the system, disrupt the establishment. Um, and I think this is what you get when you embrace that philosophy. You know, Matt Gates, you know, embraces chaos for clicks and money and power. Um, and, you know, this is a function of the party. It's not a bug or uh, some accident. This is actually what they have planned to do. Um, And it was interesting that, you know, Congressman Andy Biggs and Eli Crane, two arch conservatives, they joined 200 Democrats in voting out a Republican speaker. So um, I'm borrowing a tweet I saw, but that, you know, normal times when you go join with 200, you know, Democrats, you should be censored by the state party. But they're being embraced as, you know, warriors and patriots. But I think it's a function of the chaos that is in D.C. and all across the United States when it comes to the Republican Party that um, they're just squeezing out people more and more. I mean, it's fascinating to watch during Kevin, former U.S. Speaker Kevin McCarthy's press conference, CNN carried to MSNBC on Fox News. They had Matt Gates, who was raising money for his PAC. Hmm. So I guess Kevin McCarthy now is even too rhino-ish for Fox News and cable groups, cable news. Yeah. Um, so that was very enlightening. We've come, you know, from Paul Ryan and and those folks 10 years ago to this. I mean, John, former House Speaker John Boehner looks like Gandhi, you know, so <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, Tony, the as Chip mentioned, I think most, I think maybe there's one Democrat who voted against uh, voting out uh, Speaker, former Speaker McCarthy, but all all the rest of the Democrats did. What was the calculus there? I mean, there's kind of a a devil you know versus the devil you don't consideration, but also maybe they were also trying to embrace the chaos as a campaign tool for next year. I don't know if it was for a campaign tool. I just think that you know that this the former Speaker needed Democrats to save his spot 
save his seat. And then he didn't negotiate with them. And in fact, he went on a press conference the day before and kind of said, I'm not going to do anything to get these Democrats votes. And so, you know, he he set this up. The rules that got him out were rules that he agreed to with Matt Gates to and, become speaker. Yeah, to become speaker. And so, you know, he negotiated all of these issues. And I think that he was he's clearly the weakest speaker in the history of American politics and governance. And there was just no reason to retain somebody like that. Now, you know, uh, you know, maybe there'll be some negotiations for whoever the next speaker will be with Democrats. I can't imagine that that'll happen. But, you know, this is the Republicans mess. One thing I would say is like this problem exists all over the country with the far right controlling the Republican Party. You know, Matt Gates might be just one of eight in Congress. But in Arizona, Matt Gates would be appointed chair of a committee in the Senate, right? I mean, Warren Peterson, who was the Senate president, and he's the guy who was all behind the Maricopa County audit, he made Wendy Rogers, who was speaking at neo-Nazi rallies, chair of a committee. Uh, Anthony Kern, who uh, you know was president at the insurrection, made him uh, a committee chair. These are powerful positions. And so, you know, this is something that the Republican Party needs to try and root out. They've there have been people who've been funding the Republican Party for years that enabled and empowered this type of extremism, thinking that they would be moderated by a larger majority of people. But but that's not the case anymore. And that's the and it's terrible for democracy and, I, and something yeah. needs to be done. Yeah. I think if you speak of if you pull the camera back, so to speak. Um, the status quo is failing and that, you know, we don't really have two political parties anymore. It seems um, like that has broken down and severely fractured. So you know, instead of just throwing our hands up, you know, I firmly believe now I never was for this, for term limits, for Congress, for Senate, for the U.S. Mm. Uh, uh, Supreme Court, maybe 18 years for House and Senate where you can do nine terms in the House three terms in the Senate and some kind of term limits on Supreme Court. It should not be a lifetime appointment anymore. And I believe that we need some kind of open primaries to get more voices into this, this process because, you know, as Tony knows, as you know, Mark, you know, right now primaries, unless it's a swing district, you're talking about 15 percent of the people controlling um, the outcome of the election, 15 percent of one party sure. controlling the outcome of the election. Something just has to be done or we're going to keep going down this road. Well, so, Tony, the vote to oust McCarthy came on the heels of and in many ways, probably because of Mm -hmm. the deal he cut to keep the government open. So there was some thinking that despite what he said in that press conference about not giving anything to Democrats to to save his, his speakership. There is an argument that he basically did what the Democrats would have preferred in terms of cutting a deal with that Democrats could vote for, that the far right flank of his party would try to remove him for, that the Democrats in the Senate and the president would would go for. Clearly, that was not enough for congressional Democrats to, to vote for him. This says a lot about what's going on in politics in America, because what could be sold as a concession to Democrats was that he kept the government open and didn't give them any new anything. That's it. Because the Republican Party has this small pocket of people that are holding the government hostage. And so, you know, like I just don't, you know, so he did his job and, you know, that that's it. And he had to go against this wing of his party in order to get it done. And if if Democrats had saved McCarthy, we'd be in the exact same situation. And so, you know, again, like... What he didn't give them anything. He he just said, okay, let's keep it open so we can negotiate. That that's it. That's not 
that's not bipartisanship, right? I mean, that's not like actually coming together and trying to find a solution. Now, uh, we could have, you know, there's so many Republicans, there could be, this will never happen, but my my dream scenario, the Republicans could work with Democrats, have a unity candidate. I know that will mm. never happen. But if you're looking at the numbers, you'd think, boy, that could that could be a solution. Now, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But what's, what's interesting about this or uh, kind of crazy is you would think on a national scale, oh, my God, Biden's going to walk away with this thing. But in poll after poll, he is in a deadlock, dead heat with Trump. And I know a lot of that's inflation, the economy and other issues. Sure. Um, so this 24 and buckle up because it's going to be a rough, rough ride. All right. So, Chip, one one name. Who's going to be the next House speaker? Um, I think it's going to be Jim Jordan. Really? From yeah. Ohio? And Tony's going to max out to his campaign. I know. So <laughs> Congressman from Ohio. Yeah. MAGA, Trump defender, um, you know. Had some uh, dealings, uh, didn't really stand up for the against the insurrection, but he has Trump's endorsement now. Um, he's probably the favorite in the clubhouse right now. Tony, who do you think it's going to be? Well, the question really is, how long is this next speaker going to last? <laughs> Will <laughs> it be over before the government shuts down? Right. In, I mean, because I think, but yeah, I think it'd probably be Jim Jordan. But you know, I mean, they, this is what what ha- this uh, sort of deposing of a speaker. It's happened for the past three speakers. It's just that now they're getting faster about it, right? And so, like, I think that it's 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 a hard job to apply for because I think that you know you, you might very. It's like it's like becoming the coach of a very terrible football team, and <laughs> and uh, I yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to last. Well, as a fan, <laughs> as a fan right now of a very terrible football team, I, I feel the, I feel the, I feel the pain of that. <laughs> I didn't want to say any specific team names. No, I appreciate you know, that. Yeah. No, Gi- Giants fans know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, guys, we have uh, just a, about a minute or so left, and this is not enough time to get into this. But uh, Chip, I want to ask you very quickly your response to Governor Hobbs. Uh, dealings with uh, the the Saudi firm Fondamante, basically canceling one lease, saying they're not going to renew three more. Good good move for the governor, bad move for the governor. What do you think? I think it's a good move for the state um, because we have to uh, crack down on and, you know, focus on water conservation, sustainability. Um, I think this only makes sense. I think um, this was kind of a layup for her given to by the previous administration because they did not act on this. And I know there will be lawsuits. I know it will get contentious. But I think for the long-term sustainability and our water quality water supply, she's doing the right thing. Tony, very quickly, what do you think? It's smart. She needed to do it. She was deliberate about it. She didn't just, you know, make a gut reaction in order to get a new story. And I think that it's uh, – it's speaking a lot to the way that she's governing on these types of things. I'm, I'm proud of what she did. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Tony Connie, Chips Guitari, thanks you both for coming in. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.